join the conversation. And now, Consumer Talk featuring Wendy Nola. Welcome back to Cape Talk. It's just gone eight minutes past two. And of course, it is time for Consumer Talk. Consumer journalist Wendy Nola is joining us uh, via Zoom today. We are looking back at some of the big stories that have been covered in the segment over the past year. And we're also going to be making some space uh, on the open line to take some of your calls. If you want to join these conversations, please 021-446-0567. That's the number to call. Or you can send a WhatsApp voice note 072-567-1567. So we know that 2022 has been quite a wild ride for all of us from massive hikes in the prices of food and fuel and interest rates. And then since June, we've experienced the worst load shedding yet, some of us being uh, powerless, having no access to power or electricity for up to eight hours a day. We've had seven consecutive interest rate hikes since November 2021. That's increased the prime lending rate by 3.25% over the past year. This translates to more than a 3,000 rand increase in monthly installments on a 1.5 million rand home loan. According to Stats South Africa, the cost of food and non-alcoholic beverages has increased by 12.5% year-on-year. Transport has gone up by 15.3%. I know all of you are feeling that directly, feeling those increases directly in your pocket. I know I certainly am. Uh, petrol car owners are paying three rand eighty five more for a litre of petrol than they were at the beginning of the year. Diesel motorists are spending a significant amount more of six point six eight rand. The loss of two domestic airlines, Kalula and British Airways, when Comair collapsed, reduced seat availability by forty percent from the end of May, and that resulted in airfares shooting up alarmingly. All those factors featured in one way or another in the issues that we aired on Consumer Talk during the past year, along with the war in the Ukraine, which has disrupted supply chains across the board. So, Wendy, I believe that you've been doing some digging and you're going to be sharing some of the high and low lights (laughs) of the past year. Absolutely, Tessa. Good to be with you. Um, I... I suspect I've very uh, strongly overprepped for this hour segment because uh, there's so much, I right? Rather too many. Yes, exactly. So, so we're either going to have to sort of tracy a lot of of my summaries, or just leave out a few as we go along. Maybe listeners want to comment on some and and take uh, you know us down that road, and that's fine. So, so sure. let's see how we go. I I, I did have um quite a a nice feeling of um, satisfaction um, going through all the material, though, remembering some of this, the stuff we we tackled. So we began in January with a, a typical early January story for us, and that is an Airbnb or Booking.com or any other uh, platforms um, accommodation, holiday accommodation, having gone horribly wrong. And, and this January, it uh, the, our case study was brand coach and radio personality, Liesl van der Westhuizen, who had one of those nightly experiences at an Airbnb in Port Alfred, which her family booked for Christmas at a rate of seven and a half thousand rand a day. The pictures were beautiful, um, but what they found didn't match the pictures at all. The house was filthy. The mm. utensils were rusted as were the pots. There were dirty cutlery drawers. Oh, my worst. Um, sticky cu- cu- kitchen cupboards. A lot of coastal places are like that, but you know, as a host, you need to sort it out. Mm. Light bulbs missing, chipped crockery, um, 
filthy windows and the one bedroom couldn't even be open, dirty curtains. You get the picture. It yeah. just, oh, and to top it all, block drains and a really strong sewage smell at the front and the back of the property awesome. right next to two bedrooms. So it, it really, we got involved. She got her money back, but the, the, the learnings out of this and many people I suspect will be listening to us right now in um, a holiday accommodation that they've rented. Um, hopefully it's going well. If it isn't, we'd like to hear your stories. But um, the learnings are, and I certainly learned something of that story, and that is um, certainly with Airbnb, is um, if something is not going, if, if something is wrong, complain about it in the within 24 hours of arrival. In mm-hmm. Liesl's case, the hosts were sort of saying, well, we'll fix this and we'll fix that. What happens is the Airbnb as a security measure, protection for their customers, holds onto your money for the until 24 hours after you've checked in. So that if there's, they, you know, they don't pay the money over to the host in the first right. 24 hours so that they have some bargaining power, right? If something, if you get a case like this. So you must report anything that's not right and, you know, be reasonable. It's a fairly serious um, stay ruining kind of level bad. Um, and that way, you will, uh, they'll either relocate you or, you know, you will have some recourse. So, so those first 24 hours are critical, um, because you get a lot of guarantees. And just to something, just throw in that we covered in a recent show that I didn't put in the prep. And that is, um, there are fraudsters taking advantage of this. They somehow list on Airbnb. They find photos online somehow and list. And then in, in my case study, they said to, to the intended victim, um, oh, we've, our renovations have run over a little. Would you mind checking in a day later? And that was obviously to, because sure. it was a fake booking, right? And it was obviously to get the money from, mm. from Airbnb. So if that happens to you, a red flag. And what these guests didn't do is they didn't go onto Airbnb. They'd done everything right up until that point. They didn't go onto the site and actually amend the booking. And that would have been a red flag for Airbnb Global and they would have jumped in and fixed it. They did jump in. They found an alternative accommodation for these poor people who paid a hundred thousand Rand for five weeks for, a, I think it was a Camp Spay place. But yeah, that book and late thing is a, is a very red flag. So that's mm-hmm. with Airbnb. And then this was probably my, one of my very top standout stories for the year. It's, it's a story that stayed with me all year and it was of a young um, English girl, 17 years old, who came to stay with her aunt in Cape Town. Um, in December, Jan, and um, she went to a Claremont tattoo studio without her parents' consent because in the UK, you have to be over 18 to legally get a tattoo and there's no such legal impediment here to tattooing, right? But there are obviously many moral ones um, that many studios will uphold of their own um, will and for the sake of their reputations. But the tattoo artist that this young 17-year-old girl found at that um, Claremont studio um, had no such qualms and um, gave her a tattoo sort of under her breasts. That was the first one. And then the second one was a butterfly in color on her face, on her face. You can imagine how horrified the aunt was. And Mimi, I just, long when story I, short, we did a – Yeah, I just want to say that – I know, I, can you imagine? When I think back about this – I have a preteen in the house. I just shudder. <laughs> yeah. Just, I mean, and, I and the, the tattoo artist's um, um, feedback, um, response to the hullabaloo that was created, uh, as you can imagine, was, well, she consented. Um, okay. So I engaged with the studio. The owner was very, um, obliging actually um, well, he would have joined us on air, but he, he was doing a three hour tattoo at the time, but he said, 
Um, the woman who usually deals with consent issues was on leave at the time, you know, early January. Um, he was there, but stepping in and out of the shop running errands, he had been assured by the artist that the client was indeed 18. Um, as I say, the, 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 the artist was unrepentant. The owner said the only time we will do tattoos on a minor is if they are 17, turning 18, both parents are present. It must not be visible uh, when clothed, and it must have some sort of special meaning, such as a memorial, grandparent, that kind of thing. He later got over, uh, hold of me a week or two after the show aired to, to say that the artist in question had been let go, as he put it, because he still felt no remorse for what he'd done and had no sense of accountability. Mm. And so they let him go. Um, but yeah, that story, as I say, has, has stuck with me. Um, all these months, I think about it often. So, so what does the take out here? Clearly, there needs to be a lot of uh, checks and balances when it comes to tattooing teens in the absence of any legislation. Yeah. Um, as for the argument that the, the, the 17 year old girl consented, when the same is said of an adult having consensual sex with someone under, younger than 16, it's still considered statutory rape because clearly you're not considered to have the ma- emotional mm. maturity uh, to consent to such things at such a young yes. age. And, and yeah, so, um, I think, you know, it's a good question to actually ask of a, of a you know, you go as an elder, it's fine, but to ask questions about how that particular studio feels about these yes. issues. And it gives you a good gauge of, of, of where they sit in this area of can do it, but will you? Is it the yes. right thing? Um, so yeah, it, 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 it was a very interesting issue for us, I think. I, I, I think it's so important for holiday makers just to be aware of the fact that we don't have specific laws governing tattooing and also just what your, your earlier point about the first 24 hours, if you are renting an Airbnb and there are any issues, you've got to report it immediately. We're going to take a quick break, Wendy. Just stay on the line and we'll mm-hmm. come back to you. I just need to quickly sure. just share an alert from Cape Town Traffic. So we've been receiving some complaints from listeners who are sitting in traffic, very, very bad traffic on the N1 outgoing. Uh, so what's happening at, at the moment, officers are attending uh, to the incident on FW de Clark Boulevard outbound. Uh, they are closing uh, that section of the roadway to allow for the recovery of a container truck that overturned. Motorists are being diverted onto the M5 southbound as well as uh, Section Street, Pardon Island. And the left lane on the N7 northbound at Potsdam Road has also been closed due to a police incident. So please, motorists, if you're in the area, drivers, you are being advised to use alternative routes. And please proceed with caution just so that, you know, if you are experiencing delays, that is the cause of those delays. Wendy, we'll be back with you in a moment. It's 21 minutes past two uh, on this gorgeous and sunny Wednesday, the 28th of December, as we approach the end of the year. And we are very much having summer conversations with consumer journalist Wendy Nola. We're taking a look back at some of the high and low lights uh, in the consumer talk segment of the past year. What are the important takeaways, lessons, tips that you as consumer uh, should take with you and should be thinking of and be a, be aware of uh, as you take some time out. Wendy, there was an interesting story in February as well involving a young e-commerce entrepreneur. Yeah, this was a story that uh, was a biggie and we came back to a couple of times, I think. It began in February when we aired this case of the, of the young so-called e-commerce entrepreneur, Matthew Blunden, who thought that designing a great website and marketing the latest must have a Clients at Airfryer was um, really all it took to be a success. 
um, he, he said he was doing everything on his own and, and, um, when orders came in, he got overwhelmed and, oh, la, 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 but, but, and then I shall all he delivered to scores of customers who'd ordered and paid around 940 Rand for air fryers, mainly in October and November of last year, which meant that many actually bought more than one as Christmas presents. All he'd actually delivered was a lot of excuses, a couple of sorries and yet more delivery promises on his Facebook page. So we came back to the issue in October. Um, and, uh, by that stage, one of our listeners, um, Francis of Kenilworth had written to us to say that after our February show, she, she says, it appeared your talk worked. She's, uh, long story short, she got, um, her money back, but, um, it did, that seemed to be an isolated case. Uh, there were certainly when I checked, people hadn't got their money back. Um, I sent media queries to the company again, didn't get any response, but somehow Davies Hungry Governor did get, uh, Matthew to talk to her on camera, um, on her ENCA show. Um, that was uh, in March. He was all of 22 years old at the time, by the way. And he admitted on that show that he, at that time, 4,000 customers were without their air fryers or refunds. Um, and he, I remember him saying, she kept saying, well, why haven't you refunded them then? She said, oh, I think partly because I forgot. <laughs> Which was Unbelievable. TV gold. Anyway, so um, on his version, um, as I said, four million uh, rands worth of of people's air fryer spent if they spent just a thousand under a thousand rand, um, and he's yet to deliver the appliances to them, um, and that worked out to yeah, just over four thousand unhappy customers, um, and in the end, very few people did actually get that second batch of air fryers. The trick, the, the unfortunate part being that in earlier last year he had delivered some air fryers and so there were some good reviews right and so people did their homework like I always say went on to Hello Peter mm-hmm. looked around and everything seemed fine mm. second batch not so much um, uh, Debbie told me a short while ago that Matthew had since told her that he'd refunded 3,000 people and even if that is true um, and I'm not seeing any sign of it in my inbox um, that still leaves more than 1,255 people out of pocket um, my learnings from that was um he told a very good story, um, and, and it's very enticing to us as consumers to want to cut out the middleman um, and and the profit that they would be taking to get a, a good product at a cheaper price. But you really do need to um, – uh, well, I want to say do your homework, but as I say, unfortunately, there were some good reviews, um, and the people were caught were all – most of them caught very you know, within two months of each other. And by the time um, they realized that we were, it was January – uh, January, February, and you know, too late um, to to take to take advantage of chargeback, which is I talk about yeah. on the show a lot. Which is you can get your money back um, if uh, you don't get what you paid for and you paid by credit card. So one of the learnings out of this was that these people kept being strung along, right, until the chargeback window of opportunity uh, was was slammed shut. So um, if you're sitting in a situation and your first delivery promise gets passed, your 10 days or your, you know, whatever they promise you, um, know what your bank, every bank has a different cutoff for, for when you can claim chargeback. Um, so find out what that is and how it kicks in and what you have to do. And if you're nearing that, then lodge your chargeback claim. Don't let that, that opportunity pass if you pay by credit card and always pay by credit card when you buy something online. If you're specifically asked or enticed to do an EFT payment, know that that's a deliberate um, uh, tactic on the retailers, online retailers' part to make sure that you don't have the protection of chargeback. So something to keep in mind. And and yeah, um, 
any any must have latest appliance craze or anything like that, suddenly popping up at a really really good price on online and the company doesn't have a track record be very wary you know i think also it's important to know that the consumer protection act regulates you know misleading advertising misrepresentation of goods or services the issues of refunds including deposits of both on and off offline transactions so look for all those things as you pointed out on any retail site and if you don't find them be skeptical be skeptical Exactly. That's the thing. You need to know how these companies should be operating to know whether they're breaking the rules or not. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of these, there's so much fraud in this space, Tessa. So, um, you know, there needs to be a full address, a physical address. It just can't just be a PO box number. And you can actually go onto Google Maps and, and very easily check. Um, look at it. Does that, if you see a private home in a dodgy area, then mm, possibly not. Yes. But there are many other things to know. Um, where we can be, we can use technology to make us these little detectives before we choose to pay a company, yeah. um, so that, uh, you know, that it can protect us. We've yeah. got about th- three minutes to go to news. Uh, if you've just tuned in, it's Consumer Talk on Lunch with me, Tessa Standing, and Hooper Hudson, who's on leave. Uh, award-winning consumer journalist Wendy Nola is taking us through some of the high and low lights, uh, interesting stories in the segment over the past year. Wendy, in the interest of time, just before news, do you want to skip ahead to June, perhaps? I was going to suggest that, exactly, because the, the, the May one was a biggie, and I don't want to skip over that. So let's talk about the, the, the new job scam. And I've since had a few more people write to me about this. So the case study was um, a Cape Town by the name of Eric. He didn't want to be named because he's extremely embarrassed. But he fell for this newbie employee scam. You know, you just want to impress your boss. Um, and he it cost him 11,000 rand before he realized what had happened. So he landed this new job keen to make an impression. He got an email from uh, somebody purporting to be um, his CEO. It was the right name. And the CEO asked him a favor. So he's like, yes, absolutely, whatever. Um, can you handle this discreetly? This so-called CEO said, let me know if you're available. Um, and um, let me just want to cut this down a little bit. So this was a guy that actually was very net uh, savvy. He's um, hosted some social media privacy and security courses for parents and teachers and all all the rest of it. But still, um, he fell for this email, which was, I've been working on incentives and I aim to surprise some of our staff with gift cards today. And he asked Eric to buy five iTunes gift cards, which is a thousand rand each. Um, and that's how he lost his first 5,000 rand. And then he was told by the CEO to make things easy, scratch off the back of the cards, take a clear photo of each gift card showing the pins and email the images to me here with receipts for reimbursements oh. because I would like to send them out with personal messages. Now, if I'm reading that thinking, oh, for goodness sake, you've got to know you've been had. But now yeah. he's genuinely thinking it's the CEO. He's new. Um, and as I say, this is why he feels so embarrassed. Um, he says, I compiled in a flash, but then asked to send another six cards because these forces always try you out with something small and then hit you for more and more. Um, so he maxed out his credit cards and that's how the 11,000 rand happened. And, um, at that, he found out because he suddenly thought, let me go into WhatsApp and confirm the instruction with his boss. He didn't get a reply for 20 minutes. And anyway, eventually connected with his real boss and the boss said, it's a scam. It's not me. Forward me those emails. So, and as I say, um, there's nothing that can be do. It can be done. Apple says they can't trace the money um, because the money was used in cryptocurrency apps. Um, so he lost the eleven thousand rand. And as I say, I've heard from quite a few others who and seen in some Facebook comments on that that um, this is quite rough. And if you're the obliging type, happy to land a new job and just 
really, really want to make a good impression. You are fair game for the scam. So please spread the word. Yeah, and I suppose the learning also, Wendy, is don't buy gift cards without speaking to the person on the phone or in the person, the person who's requesting the gift card. Exactly, exactly. Um, That's a a sure fire way to find out whether you're being scammed or not. Um, So, yeah, learnings from everything. We learn off the horrible experiences of others, unfortunately, Unfortunately. but at least it makes them feel a little bit better if they can can make others um, wise up and, and not fall for it. Thank you, Wendy. We'll be back uh, just after these. It's time for news headlines with Ines Crook. On uh, afternoon drive from 3 o'clock, from hairstyles back to more serious matters with Consumer Talk uh, and Wendy Nola, who's on the line. Wendy, we've just had a uh, WhatsApp in from Michael who says, um, uh, please ask Wendy if it's legal for a gym establishment to renew your membership halfway through your 24-month contract if you, in the meantime, joined a medical aid. Thus paying a reduced fee as the medical aid pays the difference. According to them, that's a renewal of contract. Is this even legal? Can they do it without my approval or agreement? Okay, so I get that. I've never heard of this, so that's great. I was, uh, I thought I'd heard every gym-related uh, complaint <laughs> that there could be, but this is a new one. So from what I understand, he was 12 months into a 24-month contract. He had 12 months to go, but when he joined a particular medical aid, they gave him the benefit of a reduced um, monthly fee, but they extended his contract uh-huh. um, by another 12 months. In other words, they started the 24-month clock again. That's what it sounds I like. I cannot yeah. see how that could be legal, to be honest. Um, it sounds extremely unilateral, and if there's nothing in his contract... And this could be the sticky part. Uh-huh. The devil is in the small print. If there's nothing, there's no such devil in his small print. Um, and I've never seen a contract with that in it. Um, although they sort of say it's not there, but I would like to have a yeah. look at this off air. If, if Michael would like to email me, um, with a copy of his contract, um, it's a very interesting issue and I'd, I'd love to explore that for, for our next show. If Thanks, Michael. Is, if you're listening, Michael, um, we'll give the details in a little bit. But yeah, off the top of my head, I can't see how that would be justified. I mean, they sort of say, well, yeah, you're getting a reduced thing, so now we're extending your. I mean, he should have been given the choice at best to say, yeah. well, okay, I do want the benefit, and so it's worth you know, restarting it. But it cannot be unilateral. Right. All right. Shall we? Shall we talk about that hot issue? Um, yes. It's very hard to talk about fireplaces and and, and the. <laughs> end of December but so in, in late May of this year we, we first heard how a fish hook based business called Fireplace and Chimney had let dozens of its customers down um, a very long list of them came to us for help and what they'd done is chosen their fireplace off the um, company's website well, I think they had a, they had a, a Facebook um, ad um, they'd been asked to pay as much as 80% deposit upfront, which is always a little bit of a red flag not very consumer friendly I always say each party must have equal skin in the game. So 50% um, uh, would be appropriate. Um, but they didn't get anything for the money. Weeks and months went by. Uh, installation dates came and went with excuse after excuse, but basically no fireplace or just parts of the fireplace, like the flu, and then nothing. Um, so the owner of the company, Jim Rousseau, full name Jamil, Jamil um, he blamed shipping, shipping delays, excuse me, the war in Ukraine, strikes at the port, floods, COVID, diversions of containers, and, and more for the long delays. 
Um, he did engage with us in the beginning. We did a couple of follow-up mentions on the show because I sent him names of people and he kept promising um, to deliver. In some cases, he did here and there. One of the people got refunds. But the list of, of um, people who had uh, left with neither a refund or their fireplace was growing. And he stopped responding to our emails in June. In July, he was arrested on charges of fraud. Um, a few charges that was at the, at the one police station. He appeared at the Simonstown Magistrates Court on Wednesday, the 20th of July. Um, the, the officer um, investigating, investigating the case at the time confirmed that he didn't plead to the three counts of fraud. He was released on 2,000 rand bail. He said he couldn't pay 10,000 rand or 5,000. So they settled on 2,000 rand bail and the case was remanded till uh, September. I'm told that he didn't appear on that date saying he was sick. And I've been unable to establish this week um, what the status is of his court appearances. However, I do want to share that many people know there's a Facebook group uh, that was created called Facebook and Chimney, sorry, Fireplace and Chimney Company Complaints Community. Um, there's a lot of interaction there from people who've been caught. Um one of the victims, Mark Hendry of Table View, who paid 15,000 rand deposit, has told me that um, he took his case to commercial crime in Belleville um, on the advice of a police officer in the hope that all the cases will be cons- consolidated into a single case. And obviously, that's much more appealing to, to, uh, to the courts to do that one single case. Um, and since his name appeared on that Facebook uh, page, he says he knows of 42 cases, 46 rather, cases which have been reported to the police. He's got the case numbers and he has another 20 names of people who were scammed but never opened cases. Uh, there's even one for 150,000 rand in Santon, apparently. Um, and he says that to- he estimates the total amount of money involved to be between three and five million rand. And then just this morning, um, uh, quite an encouraging update, Tessa, and that is that the station commander at Commercial Crimes Investigations, Western Cape, emailed Mark to say, I have forwarded correspondence to Tableview, Durbanville, Fishhook, and Stellenbosch police stations requesting that the matters be transferred to this office. In some instances, I have noticed that matters were closed, like the Kirstenhoff case, which are, when we are in the process of reopening these case dockets for further investigation, I have assigned Sergeant Unverwacht to this matter, who would assess all outstanding evidence and discuss with the court to centralize the matters in Weinberg court. Oh. So if anyone listening wants to um, uh, add their case to this, um, I, I phoned the landline number that I saw in the um, Lieutenant Colonel's address and it just rang and rang and rang and got cut off. Could be time of year, but it is a police station. So what um, Mark was very happy for me to um, do is to give out his email address. If anybody wants to um, add their name, he'll he'll be very happy to um, handle that for them. His address is headchef127. That's headchef127 at gmail.com. So in the new year, we will be definitely following up on this case, Tessa. Well, it's good to hear that uh, some heat is being applied. Some Sounds heat, like it's being exactly. To this case. Yes, it's it's never going to be a quick fix. These cases are always going to take time, but it takes people coming together. I know from previous experience in such cases, people have got to come together and not give up um, and be patient. Um, and that's the only way that there's ever justice in these matters. 
If you're just tuning in and hearing the voice of uh, award-winning journalist, consumer journalist Wendy Nola, uh, it's just gone 20, can't do my maths, 27 minutes. Am I, am I right? Is it 17? 17 minutes, 17 minutes to 2 o'clock. I shouldn't put myself on the spot. My name's Tessa van Staden. I'm standing in for Pippa Hudson, who's taking a well-deserved break, and we're looking back at some of the, the high and low lights, some of the interesting stories that were featured in Consumer Talk uh, in the segment over the past year. And, Wendy, I was thinking, as we heard uh, just in the news about problems and delays at Oratambo uh, earlier today, apparently there was a technical issue that affected fuel yes. supply, and that's now been resolved. But shall we move from that, seeing as that was in the news, to your one story from June after Kame announced yeah. its suspension? Yes. This was um, obviously given that so many people had paid uh, for uh, particularly Kalula Airfares, um, this was a story that was a biggie and it also it was one that we came back to a few times. So uh, on the 31st of May, Kami announced its immediate suspension of all its Kalula and British Airways flights. Um, they announced that, well, I got a press release at 10 o'clock that night. And the unfortunate thing was that that day, the 31st of May, they ran a 30% off sale, a uh, sale which obviously that. drummed up mm. huge Ticket sales, yes. Mm. And so there were many conspiracy theories r- around that and, and understandably so. Um, and initially they said they could only get a travel credit. And then, um, the next week they came back and said, you know, and that was, that was problematic, obviously, because they, they said expect a refund, uh, um, expect that, um, sorry, they said you can have a credit. And if you want a refund, you'd have to wait eight to 10 weeks. Now, here are people who have made travel plans and need to make alternative ones. You can't wait eight to 10 weeks for thousands of rands in a, in a re, as a refund. Anyway, the next week, they read the room a little bit and came back and said, okay, it will, it, it will be immediate if you bought on that sale. But for all the others that didn't buy on that May 31 sale, at least you, they had um, banked with, uh, if, they'd, if they'd done the, the bookings via Discovery, Vitality, um, which and Discovery Bank just refunded, no questions asked, which was great. But for many others, they just lost out on that money, and they lost further confidence in the um, in the domestic airline industry. Don't forget, um, last June already, eighteen months ago, uh, Mango stopped flying. They had all sorts of financial issues, um, and um, we kept hearing every few months news of you know a possible sale of the airline. It would be flying again. Well, that hasn't happened, and I just heard this week that its license to operate has been revoked by the Civil Aviation Authority because, you know, they weren't using it for the last 18 months, and there's certainly no sign mm-hmm. that they're going to. So all in all, um, as you you mentioned right at the beginning of, of the show, of the segment, that, you know, that loss of capacity in the market led to soaring, excuse pun, um, airfares, and I am reliably informed um, that uh, due to the fact that um, lifters bought new airlines, uh, airplanes rather, and certainly uh, FlySafe has, and I'm told that by the end of this month and certainly early February, um, that the prices will stabilize to what they were before this year when um, uh, these, air, you know, the Kalula collapse and all that happened. Bearing in mind. Um, it probably won't actually go back to what it was before because what's happened to us as, as, as motorists with the cost of fuel has obviously happened at a, a, a at a much bigger level with aviation fuel. So their, their, their running costs have gone up mm. considerably, but at least we're not going to have a capacity problem, which also, which always drives up the prices. And when, when, as we approach the start of a new year, a lot of people will be, 
moving either into or out of residences or new homes or rentals. Do you want to sort of take a stab at summarizing what happened with uh, the disaster move? A story from Disaster move, yes. So this is one um, a perennial in my inbox, Tessa, where people pay a company to do a move for them goods get lost or damaged or very often transported, believe it or not, in an open truck and then it rains and everything is ruined. And you, you won't actually believe what can happen. Um, and invariably, the um, companies will turn around and say, well, did you take insurance? You should have insured your stuff. We told you about this. Well, yes, it's a good idea and I would strongly recommend that. But um, legally, um, they don't have that out. The insurance is a complete side issue. According to the Consumer Protection Act, any any company is required to exercise what the act calls the degree of care, diligence, and skill as can be expected from a person responsible for managing any property belonging to another. And if they don't, they are responsible for any resultant loss or damage of a client's goods. It's very clear, but South Africa's Professional Movers Association has told me um, on a few occasions that it's common practice locally and internationally for removal companies to move possessions at the owner's own risk. That is ridiculous because it means they could just hire people off the street with no experience, throw your goods in the back of the truck with no padding or, or securing or anything mm. else. And if they're damaged on the other side, oh, sorry, you know, own risk. There's never, ever is that thing going to be legal. But the problem is, boy, do you have a, a long, protracted, expensive legal fight, uh, fight on your hands mm. um, if, if that does happen and they don't want to play nice. So my first... Um, word of advice on this issue is to to hire a company on word of mouth. I've moved a couple of times in recent years and that that advice is it came through for me in a big way and I now recommend that company on to others who are who happen to ask me. So in this particular case and actually I'm not going to go into it but in 2019 we had a similar case with a similar company both involved pianos, if you can believe it. The company was uh, Stutterford's Van Lines. And in this particular case that we mentioned um, this year, Howard Crennan moved almost a year ago, New Year last year, from Parkhurst and Joburg to Cape Town with Stutterford's Van Lines. He says the packing up in Joburg went brilliantly. He was full of praise um, for what happened on that end. He said, but when it got here, everything went to pieces, literally. Um, many goods were were damaged just getting them from the truck into the house, sort of smashed onto door frames and that sort of things thing. And he says the biggest loss, of course, was um, the his beautifully restored uh, Steinway piano. Oh, I can't um, imagine was dropped in, in in with all the witnesses around oh. on his driveway from the truck smash, and um, the the company was um, not willing to take responsibility. In short, he'd had a lawyer. I took up the case with Laser Transport, which owns some of its fans' lines. Again, as I say, I dealt with them in 2019. They, uh, I told them, you know, you cannot refuse to take responsibility for not taking professional care of a client's goods um, and make insurance uh, the issue. And um, anyway, it dragged on and on. Um, I was last told that the, the Laser Transport didn't want to engage with me directly as they didn't want to last time. I was told the matters with the attorneys, and the last I heard, there was an offer made um, to cover the uh, repair of the uh, piano, 
but which which Howard has already paid for, by the way. Um, but they wanted to impose a gagging order and all the rest, and, and that's where it left. So it was a very unpalatable case. And I say, what's the chance that this one journalist hears about a piano being damaged by the same moving company mm. in the space of uh, of two years? Anyway, so the advice, as I say, is um, put a lot, a lot, a lot of time and energy into choosing your removal company mm. carefully. It is a very very big danger area. I cannot stress that strongly enough. I think that's such good advice. Just a a very good reminder for those of you who are either planning to move into or out of digs or into res or perhaps you're relocating or semigrating. Just uh, keep that advice in mind. I was horrified, uh, Wendy, about about, um, one of the stories you discussed in October, which was the death of a young Durban couple. And I think we should reflect on this now because usually at the start of the new year people tend to want to clean up get ready for the new year you know spring clean for lack of a better word um and some sometimes that that involves fumigation we in fact did something recently for cockroaches uh but you just want to remind listeners of the story and what happened yes absolutely it was a horrific one um a young Durban couple nicholas and matri malva who were in their mid-30s um, they died allegedly as a result of poisoning hours after the empty flat next door was fumigated. And um, the the owner of that flat, the flat was empty. She wanted to treat uh, termites, commonly referred to in Durban as wood borer. Um, and it's a particularly serious issue in that particular area of Durban, the Bria, which I, I know very well. I lived there for 20-something years. Um, and... Uh, and yeah, it's uh, the the person that was hired based on a Facebook advert just threw these um, bombs of toxic um, fumigator fumigation stuff um, into the flat. It was enough to an expert told me it was enough. It was you know it it could have killed multiple people, and the fumes that were created it mixes with moisture in the air. Uh, went, found its way. It was an old flat, lots of little, obviously, crevices and whatever, and it found its way into the flat directly next door and just killed them. They just never woke up. They were asleep. Um, horrific find for one of their family members. But the, the, as always, what do we learn? Um, Dr. Harad Fadouin, who's the director of the Griffin Poison Information Center, um, said that unregulated fumigation was killing people every week somewhere in this country. And he, he joined us on air to share some of those shocking stories um and um we're a bit time poor so i um just to say i asked him what what must you ask if you're wanting to hire someone to fumigate right. your home office home or office and he said ask for pre-registration documents it's so-called p number it must be attached to any quote ask to see the registration document with the department of agriculture and ask to see their safety file if you don't hear from that person again you've dodged a bullet um, because these operators to use these these um, t- these very toxic um, products, they need to be registered with the Department of Agriculture, um, and, uh, and they have to be signed off by a qualified registered uh, pest control operator. So, ask very detailed questions around registrations, etc. And as mm. as, as uh, Dr. Fredon says, if you don't hear from them, um, you know you can yeah. assume that that was going to be a problem. So I think that we also have a responsibility as consumers to ask those questions um, and make sure that we're dealing with somebody legit, not to just go on the basis of a quote. 
Absolutely. And also just for me, what was the standout, I think, takeaway was that pre-registration document or the P number, which must be attached to the quote. I had no idea. Yeah, nor did I before I did this story. So, you know, I I live, I learn new things every day too, just about. Um, and you know, sharing of this stuff, you don't, you never know what impact it has, but one hopes that it, it, it spares some people. Um, some hor- horrific outcome. Have we got time for one more? Yes, Wendy, so? we've got about three minutes to go, so it's up to you. Do you want to do laptop or uh, stripping uh, fixtures? I think um, I think we've done we've done the the stolen laptop stolen on uh, sorry the mm. stolen laptop which somehow was stolen sold yes. on take a lot. The story was still ongoing last time we came to it, but I think it's finally been resolved after my second intervention, but that was just probably the most bizarre story of the year. But I think the art takers don't assume that you, you if you're dealing with a very uh, big uh, online retailer with a long track, established track record that these things don't happen and you must make sure that you, you get your, your choose um, if, if it does happen. I think just um, the new year, or we're at a time of people, people um, Moving about all over the place, as you said, immigration or immigration, um, and uh, just moving around sub- suburb to suburb is um, the issue of fixtures. Um, so we had this case study very recently of Craig Rodney with his Tukai house. He bought this house, which was advertised with all these amazing um, bespoke features in it, including um, the massive wall in the lounge. As you walk into the house, you see it. Um, it's beautiful. Um, banish any thoughts you may be having of a sort of 1970s wall unit. This is a very George thing uh, that cost 160,000 rand to replace. It basically wow. it was gone. Um, it's very much just a fixture you wouldn't think of taking um, a bedroom cupboards out, but apparently some people will. So the advice here is very simple, and we had a convincing attorney on uh, to talk about this, is um, the, the buyer – the seller rather, the agent must ask the seller and if he doesn't or he or she doesn't, the, the buyer certainly must ask them to make a full list and sign it of what fixtures they want to leave and what fixtures they are going to leave. And if, if then there can be some negotiation around that, but it must be something that's very clearly make no assumptions, I think, about what is a fixture and what isn't because people clearly have different ideas. Right. And then here's something I learned and it might make you a bit unpopular, but what the hell <laughs> is if you've bought the house and the, and the, and it's in your name the the, the 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 transfer has gone through right the house is legally yours and the sellers are now moving out um, you have the right to to insist that you are there you can make it friendly but essentially what you want to do is make sure as what what happened in this case that they don't strip out some light fittings or the jacuzzi or a wall unit or whatever Mirrors. um Mirrors, and do you know that even this is my learning as well. If there's a, a, um, a sort of a pub thing, a bar area with stools, if they are the stools are movable, you don't have to use a tool to, to remove them from the house. But if they're a set and you, they were sold as that, and then that bar stool is a that bar area is a fixture, they can't take the bar stools area either. But many huh. would. So you need to really have detailed conversations about these things to avoid your move-in day being. An absolute nightmare disappointment for you. Such good advice as always. Thank you so much for your time, Wendy Nola, uh, on this last Thank edition you, of Consumer Talk 2022. We wish you a fantastic and blessed uh, 2023 filled with solving lots of consumer challenges for <laughs> South African citizens all over the place. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank so you so much, much for your time. Thank you, Tessa.